Recording. Hello and welcome to episode six of Sharkcast, brought to you by Basking Shark Scotland. I'm Rachel and I'm joined with Shane today. Hello. And we're going to be diving into an introduction to the Baskin Shark. So there's... Diving into it. Diving in. We're here for the ocean puns. <laughs> um, so there's so much we can talk about. Um, but we asked our audience on Facebook and Instagram for some questions of what they'd like to know about our favourite shark species. So we'll get to that shortly. But first, uh, Shane, do you want to give us a little introduction to yourself and also to the company. So Baskin Shark Scotland, what do we do? And a little bit about your background and why we're here today. <laughs> the whole podcast for that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're based in Oban. We run um, lots of water-based wildlife tours. Um, originally all to do with Baskin Sharks, but we through the the time we found out about their migration paths and when they're here and what they're not here and they're I guess away more of the time um, than they're here but I guess looking at the questions we'll get a bit more into that I don't want to give away too much too soon um, so yeah we do lots of different things um, but also scientific work as well through our own projects and through collaborations with various um, institutions um, and uh, during the summer months we head out to the Hebridean Island of Col, um, where we base ourselves for the peak season, uh, and that's much closer to the Baskin Shark aggregations, and uh, means we are right in the hotspot for when we want to run all the tours and do all our work. So, yeah, we're just on the cusp of getting towards our busy time now. So, um, yeah, we're just getting geared up for that. So, Baskin Shark Scotland's been going for almost ten years now. So, it's fair to say you've probably seen your fair share of Baskin sharks in seen that a few. time. <laughs> seen, seen a few. A few. Um, so, As one person said once, once you've seen one, you've seen them all. <laughs> you said that. <laughs> That's on TripAdvisor. Look back to tw- twenty thirteen. <laughs> all the same. <laughs> it was Baskin great. Sharks. Did great for the tours because it was uh, the uh, it was something like we've seen twenty five sharks, but. Really, I got bored because once you've seen one, you've seen them all. And we were like, how do you reply to that when you came on a bass and shark tour? Uh, like, okay, fair brilliant, enough. Brilliant. Ticked, ticked that one right off. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, maybe we only just need to answer one question then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so as we are based here in the Hebrides, this is quite a good question to start with and quite a difficult one, I think. Um, so we've got... I'm going to apologise now if I say anyone's names wrong. We've pulled these all off Instagram and Facebook. But Gary J. McNally has asked, how many are in the UK? Mm, interesting one. Uh, currently, it is not known. So um, the closest answer you can have to that is um, from a study done by Movis uh, Gore and Rupert Ormond, um, who are... Um, two scientists who are connected with Harriet Watt and uh, run their own um, project, um, Project Baskin Shark, of all things. Original name. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And they've been doing lots of studies here uh, on the sharks. And one um, paper that came out, uh, which is maybe about three, I don't know, three, four years ago, after a few years of work, they were doing photo ID. So basically they were... Going out every summer, taking lots of pictures of basking shark fins and uh, of each side and making a, a cartoon of each fin and trying to record individuals. And then 
looking to do a thing called mark recapture. So they would then com uh, continue to take pictures of the fins um, and then hopefully get a match. So it was a lot of student time sitting looking through different cartoons. And they are, it's quite hard because there's not that much differences on the fin. If you get one that's got um, uh, like a big notch out of it or some damage, uh, then it's kind of easy, but there's lots of little subtleties in terms of the shape and how rounded the tip of the fin is and all these kind of things and little uh, scratches and marks and things like that. Um, but they did really well. Um, and through that, they were able to extrapolate by how many mark recaptures they got um, and how many they didn't have, i.e. new sharks. They were able to kind of make an estimate on what, uh, given that amount of sharks were coming around uh, the area of how many were then in the North Atlantic. So the, the throwaway one-liner is they think there was about 20,000 in the North Atlantic, um, Northeast Atlantic. Um, so uh, in terms of a UK uh, thing, um, then generally the sharks uh, migrate to and from the Hebrides um, via the west side of the UK and Ireland. And it's likely that a lot of those sharks are similar or the same. There might be uh, different packs or clans uh, that go to certain areas back and forward. Um, but I would say a start point of would be 20,000 would probably be not too bad. Uh, one other uh, fact from that is they think about 100,000 have been taken out by fishing in the Northeast Atlantic over the last century. So it's that's a considerable amount less than there used to be even mm. just 100 years ago or 50 years ago even. Um, so yeah, interesting question. Uh, it's unknown um, because they are so secretive, but uh, last estimate, 20,000 in the Northeast Atlantic. Yeah, well, it's pretty crazy to think because, you know, on a good day on call and you've got sharks everywhere, that's just a fraction of what it would have been maybe a yeah. hundred years ago. And it's some of the accounts that I always remember is them saying that they're like stepping stones on mm. the sea. You can't imagine how cool it would be to see the sea just full of <laughs> basking sharks. But yeah, there was an, an old guy came uh, to the marina on Monday when I was putting fuel in the boat and he comes from Malig and he was saying the same. He was out, he used to be, I think it was Heron maybe fishing and he was chatting about the sharks. And uh, he said they saw the same, like so people cool. come out with these old stories from like the 50s when they went out and fins from, yeah. you know, as far as you could see kind of thing. Well, uh, that leads us quite nicely into our next question. We've already touched on migration a little bit, but Miss Christy Bell on Instagram has asked, are they here all year round or do they migrate? So we, <laughs> we did mention that they'd migrate, yeah. but maybe you could tell us where they migrate to. And it's also possible that some of them yes, stay in yes, this yes. area Yes, yes, yes. There's a good too, story right? about that. Um, there's a, um, I don't think he's ever pictured, got a picture, but there's a guy, Lawson Wood, who's a reasonably famous uh, underwater photographer, wrote quite a lot of diving guides and uh, magazine articles. Um, um, it's based in southeast Scotland around St Abbs. Uh, and he actually saw one in Fort William, um, which is just up the road from us in Oban, top of a sea loch, so quite a, mm. uh, a dark, it's a dingy, <laughs> but that's not really a fair word, a top of gloomy. a sea loch, so it's a lot of peat water goes in, so it's fairly tea-coloured water, and then there's a lot of objects that were sunk there, there's a little dive attraction off the pier, and he was swimming around there in the middle of winter when it was really cold and dark, and uh, a bass and shark literally swam up to him out of the gloom, and the visibility was maybe only, I don't know, three metres or two, two, oh, three yeah. metres and uh, I don't know, is this a family podcast? 
<laughs> shit himself. <laughs> uh, this thing, as you would imagine, this huge shark, because obviously we're not really used to big sharks um, just popping out of the gloom in the middle of winter. Um, so some do overwinter um, or may migrate later, um, but most of them from the tagging projects that have gone on through various institutions do migrate off uh, for the winter towards the subtropics. Um, some have gone across the Atlantic as well, which is really cool. Um, but generally, the ones that have been from the Hebrides, for example, have gone west of Ireland down towards the Bay of Biscay, Azores, Canaries type thing. Um, uh, and uh, the previous tagging um, papers have come out with really interesting things about them going to depth at certain times of the year and, uh, uh, and are generally offshore. So it's not really a place that you know, we can actually observe them. So it's only by mm. satellite tags and light geolocations that they can um, figure out where they're going and what they're up to. So it's just a kind of little snapshot into what they're doing at that time and it's really unknown. But yeah, generally they head off for winter, usually about uh, autumn time and then they come back in the spring. So usually September, October, usually by October they're away. Um, although the latest ones we were doing when the on our scientific projects was kind of mid mid October, I think the eighteenth or nineteenth, um, and in the earliest we've had them back as April. So yeah. Yeah. So we just had our first sighting here mm -hmm. in the Hebrides last week as well. I think there was two sharks sighted. So that's always good news when we've yep, got yep. the fish popping up. Um, but that you're steaming ahead of me on the answers here. So oh, <laughs> <the> ruining it. <laughs> the, We've been asked what is the best time of year to see them. So you did just mention then that the sharks are here during the summer. Uh, but the ship lady on Instagram has asked a bit about the ocean conditions and visibility as well being the best time to see them. So maybe you could explain what actually brings them here to the Hebrides and what the ocean conditions are that lead up to that. Yeah, um, well, it's a tough question because the best time to see them is when there's lots of them around uh, <laughs> uh, but seen one shark uh, yeah, yeah. Seen them all. exactly <laughs> um but yeah so generally the migration um to the hebrides starts in the spring and culminates in the summer um uh, with lots of them around then which is based on two things of potentially mating because we have these aggregations that we see lots of behaviors that could uh, point to that's what's happening but it's also to take advantage of the huge um, food source that's here i.e the plankton which they eat um, and our seasonal seas here in the northeast atlantic uh, bloom at that time of year we get two uh, plankton blooms the first one in the spring kind of like your grass growing and all the wildflowers growing in the spring uh, with all the warmth and sunlight and nutrients that are available um, simplistic way of seeing it in the ocean but that's kind of mm -hmm. roughly what it is for yeah, yeah. Uh, layman's terms um, and then it drops away a little bit and then uh, boosts again sort of July, August. So generally the second hit is when we have the most sharks and that could be to do with their migration path of them taking a little bit of time to get up to us. Um, uh, and maybe more southerly locations, seeing them a little bit earlier around that, that first plankton bloom. Mm -hmm. um, but there's lots of subtleties in that. So like, you know, we can, we've had... Lots of sharks in the end of October um, when there's been a late season bloom and you know we've had, uh, like I said before, 5th of April or whatever it was, um, a big bloom then uh, and the water was not freezing cold but 7 degrees or whatever it was, 6 degrees. Um, but you need to generate plankton, you need all these things. So it's 
the same thing as growing a plant. You know, you need water, you need heat, you need light, you need nutrients. So generally the best time to see the sharks is when this soup is in its optimal conditions and that does vary quite a lot. Um, uh, generally the when the, the sharks first appear uh, that depends on a lot of things in terms of you know what the winter was like what weather um, pattern we're in whether it's um, uh, El Nino or La Nina all these things there's a lot of big big uh, oceanographic things going on that um, creates those conditions for them to first appear so it is a bit of a lottery and that's generally why we don't really run shark specific tours uh, or projects earlier in the season because it is very hit and miss um, because those ones that turned up the other day you could have I don't know I, I doubt you'd really be able to predict um, mm. that for around here of when they were just turning up it's just one of these things yeah uh, the other thing you can do is obviously spend a lot of time which we do mm-hmm. uh, zooming around and looking for them at, at the peak times um, but yeah, generally we run our, our, our peak season tours around sort of July, August, September uh, and that's generally when the water's warmed up nicely uh, and there's lots of plankton around and when we're potentially seeing these mating uh, behaviours and that's generally when most of them are around. Um, but there's subtleties uh, within that, you know, there's obviously peaks and troughs. Um, but the interesting thing, uh, and it's always hard to, to do this when you're looking for sharks is you need to sort of consider this just because you're not seeing any on the surface doesn't actually mean that there's none around um, yeah. they could just be <laughs> under the water feeding nicely and uh, unless we're seeing that fin tip on the surface um, then it's very difficult for us to to find them um, and i guess that's the same with uh, the satellite tagging you know showing them zo- all zooming around you know it's tough to then uh, actually find the fish unless they're at the surface for optimal feeding conditions so there's a lot going on with bass and sharks. They do seem simplistic in terms of them just opening their mouth and <laughs> eating plankton, but there's a lot going on in order to, to find them. Well, they're quite big eating machines, really, so you can guarantee they'll be wherever the plankton that's is, right. and unfortunately that doesn't stay in one place either. So. No. Um, we hope that answered your question. We wish the answer to that was a bit more <laughs> straightforward. Yeah. It would make our lives a bit easier too. But... Answers yesterday. Yeah. So should have been here yesterday. Yeah. Um, the visibility is something we get asked about a bit and you mentioned plankton soup there, which is a really good way to describe it. So when you do get those blooms, ideally you don't really want good visibility to see a Baskin shark because you want them to have plenty of food about Mm. Uh, so it's a bit of a catch-22 for photographers sometimes yeah 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 um yeah it's in the hands of the plankton gods basically but our next one we got asked this question twice by shorty lake district and cole j van and they both want to know how long do baskin sharks live for all the hard questions yeah and again <laughs> another right one in. we don't know interestingly um it's funny because uh, uh all the stuff that you see online has just been replicated and copied back and forward like yeah. how big is a basking shark how long does it live for and it's just the same you know uh, as big as a bus and weighs several tons and all this kind of stuff it's just because there's no actual information on how for this one specifically how long they actually live for they think they do live a long time um, just because of the way they are, their metabolism, their um, growth rates, what they feed on, um, all those things. Um, but they don't actually 
uh, know specifically how long for us. So I think, the, I mean, the rough estimate they say is like over 50, but I think uh, most scientific papers or, or academics would consider that it would likely be longer than that, um, given it's uh, potentially uh, a bit later before they mature and things like that. Yeah. Um, They're always described of having quite a long life history, aren't they? in terms of sexual maturity and that's one of the issues conservation wise is that they take so long to reach sexual maturity and then when they do we think they've got a really low reproductive rate as well. Mm. I can imagine it's quite challenging trying to quantify something like the weight of a Baskin shark. It wouldn't be the easiest specimen no, yeah, to right, <laughs> handle if, even if you do get those odd ones that are washed up. I don't know too much about how they would go about something like that but yeah well you've got all the water waiting that's in it as well i guess yeah yeah, yeah. tricky but yeah i think i don't think um they're quite as long as what like the greenland shark and, and all that recent research they've came out on that i don't think it'd be quite that's as long crazy, as those ones it? um but um, i think it would certainly be longer than say the predatory sharks mm-hmm. and some of the other ones so that's somewhere it. in the middle live fast die young yeah <laughs> basking you sharks live swim slow. slow and eat plankton <laughs> So, yeah, you'll find a lot of questions when it comes to basking sharks is that we still don't quite know the answers, but we're hoping through time, the more sighting data we get, the more that we can help contribute towards some of these answers, um, especially with developing technology. Mm. There's definitely going to be some things that... I'm not actually sure how they did it on the Greenland shark. I need to look that up. When was it carbon dating some of their... They took it to the... Was it that the one that they took to the Natural History Museum? Or was there two? Because I remember seeing that on a programme. But I saw it, it was like on a trailer being like driven yeah, right. around somewhere. But they're not quite as big as no. basking sharks, are they? But yeah, and obviously like their cartilage. I'm not sure they can really get much out of that. But... Mm. Um, they're yeah. another very interesting and unknown species as well, mm-hmm. yeah, these deep sea sharks. Um, and leading on to not knowing the answers to questions, <laughs> <There's> some, <laughs> this is another one. So FM Wild... This has turned into a rubbish podcast. <laughs> Ask all the questions, no idea. <laughs> We've gone quite a lot. When Do you have they... any that we actually know the answer to? You answered all the others. I know, but they're just kind of... We don't know, yes or no, maybe. <laughs> you need black and white ones. <laughs> we'll come back next week with a better answer. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> no. Uh, when do they give birth and where? Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, it comes into the same thing, so we just... <laughs> we don't know about that either. Uh, so, well, the problem with bass and sharks is they disappear off, they do huge migrations, we don't know where they go. Uh, well, you know, apart from the kind of satellite tagging that showed them going to relative areas, but, you know, when they drop down into, you know, one, two, three, four thousand metres or whatever, uh, you know, we just don't have the technology to follow them to that location and see what they're doing. Um, so there's things that we do know. So the things that we do know is we don't see very many small ones uh, here. Um, uh, we've only seen maybe two, th- three maybe really small ones um, and they're uh, quite distinct because they've got a little turned up nose rather than mm. the big full nose of an adult um, Baskin shark. Um, so it's, it's, 
it's likely that they are not pupping beside us because we're not really seeing the, the young ones. Um, they could be pupping and staying underwater the whole time and not being on the surface, but we have seen those wee ones feeding away. So you would generally think we'd, we don't have them beside that. So it is probably somewhere else. Um, there's interesting data from uh, the Eastern Mediterranean, like Corsica Way. Um, there's a cool project there. Um, we have not caught for a th for a while, uh, but they see a lot of small ones over there, so that might be a pupping ground. Uh, and then one of the other th interesting things of the satellite tagging, um, where they've seen them in the late winter, early spring, they seem to all have dropped down to depth um, around the Bay of Biscay, mm. um, offshore. Um, they don't know why that is, whether that's uh, before the first plankton bloom and uh, there's food at depth and they're feeding away down there. Um, or whether that's potentially a pupping ground. Um, yeah, we're not sure. So, But no one really sees lots and lots of them around in any specific location. So it's somewhere remote from human observation. Um, Which is probably for the best. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> some of these secrets are best on the Yeah, own. yeah. Well, in some ways it is best, but then the, like, so for example, that be a biscuit one. So if they mm. were able to get a location of it, then you yeah, know, to yeah, protect, protect an area them. where potentially it's a pupping ground, if they were able to prove that, would be really useful because obviously yeah, it might be getting, I don't know, trolled or whatever's going on. Um, so that would be uh, would be good if that was kind of known. But okay. yeah, it's happening somewhere. But it's yeah, uh, okay. I guess unless the, uh, the 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 eastern Mediterranean one's interesting as well because they just sort of all pop up randomly there at the start of the spring kind of mm. thing. Um, uh, but there's none, none of the tagged ones have gone through the Straits of Gibraltar um, yeah. from here. So that I'm not sure of what they sort of suggest, if that's like a tidal gate and it stops them, mm. pe them going in or out, because obviously the Med's a huge, a huge place, but um, uh, and what if they're maybe eating something a bit differently, so. Yeah, um, interesting, because they definitely have certain areas that they like to be and with all the amount of time people spend by the coast and in the water for no one to have seen anything like that. Yeah. And we've not even seen them uh, breeding. No, yeah. So that's a really unknown part of their life cycle. But there's And they think the gestation's 18 months plus. Yeah. Um, so it's a long, a long time and it's happening somewhere. But it's not, it's not, it's not if there's like lots of like fishing data or like them trolled up. No. Um, there was that record of them the Norwegian fisherman catching one that was pregnant that spontaneously given birth. Yeah. That was in the summer. six pups, right? Yeah. And that's the only data we have to go off for that as well. Yeah. So that goes back to you saying you get these one facts that are bounced around and they're just such a small sample size out of a well, huge Well, that could population. be completely erroneous as well because yeah. that could just be one <laughs> random one that wasn't actually meant to be there, but then now they've based this information uh -huh. on that one instance kind of thing so yeah um so yeah but it's quite cool because there's lots of unanswered questions that we we don't know about them they're probably one of the sharks that have the least amount of information available where other ones are yeah yeah a, a bit easier to to yeah, get some info on sharks. but they saying that they did find some things here recently didn't they in the sea of the hebrides where we're based but they had some camera what they called mm. The toad tags, yeah, yeah. Or whatever, yeah, and they caught some really cool footage of a glimpse into what might be going on down the bottom, where they were exhibiting some really unusual behaviours. So we are finding out new things about them 
all the time really but there's yeah a lot <laughs> a long way to go uh, we've got a few questions now all from Robert Lipner on Facebook so thank you for sending these through um, and the first two are about scarring mm. so when we do encounter sharks we take quite a lot of sightings data and one of the things we do look at is any unusual markings on the sharks and so if you've seen them on photos you might have noticed this yourself but Robert's asked how extensive can the white blotching be to the underside of the head and flank and why have many basking sharks got white snouts so I'll ask you those together because they're quite similar. yeah 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 well yeah hard to do without pictures but we get lots and lots that have got various markings on them um, a lot of scar damage we've got actually our little resource on the boat in front of us that's got nice one that had uh, evidence of being wrapped in a, a rope that had been rubbed around and it's kind of got the, the scar tissue uh, from that um, so generally I don't know the um, obviously the shark skins are, are, are tough but also abrasive so when they're they're mating they'll um, bite onto each other using their little teeth so that causes um, scarring on their on their fins um, but they obviously interact with each other as well and potentially bump into things and we've even seen them roll up onto the rocks uh, yeah. whether that was intentional for parasite, parasite removal that went wrong and it went a bit extreme or whether it was a bit ill and just mistimed a wave um, so they and obviously they, they get into coastal areas where you know there's lots of rocks and you know we've seen them on top of the kelp really close and uh, they breach out of the water so they definitely get themselves into a bit of mischief um, <laughs> and it's probably all damage. Um, we have seen lots, they get lots of uh, parasites as well, like the lampreys and like copepod parasites. Um, and you also see them with kind of like almost fungal patches as well. So yeah, uh, uh, unlike maybe some of the other, well, I was going to say like white sharks, I mean, sometimes they look, or predator sharks look a bit more clean, I guess. Maybe the mm -hmm. faster swimming ones are a bit more streamlined or, or have different maybe uh, skin denticles that uh, do it a bit differently um, but basking sharks seem to have a lot more on them and growing yeah, on them than kind of other sharks. Yeah, they do look a bit grubbier than other sharks, don't they? But I don't know if it's the kind of slow slow speed that they, they go at yeah. and cruise at and you know it's hugging the bottom and, and that kind of thing that sort mm. of promotes that that style of thing. Um, Life in the deep sea. Um, so yeah so a lot of it can be sort of like damage from interactions from yeah behaviors yeah it's interesting because sharks have this amazing capability to heal so you do see these white marks like from the lampreys that are just perfect little circles mm. and we'll post some photos online that you can have a look at for a bit of a reference that if you've never seen a lamprey before and you're a bit squeamish I wouldn't be googling those yeah google a lamprey's mouth <laughs> for a week. you'll not sleep <laughs> but um they are something we do see attached to the shark sometimes and you can see where they've come removed and all these little things give us a bit more of an idea and a picture of what they have been up to but the noses especially is yeah yeah like, yeah a funny one we're just looking at some photos of those before we started and again is it ropes or rocks or 
they just got an itchy face. <laughs> like, what are they yeah, doing? Yeah, well, you definitely get into their like feeding trance and all that kind of yeah, stuff. And yeah. you've seen them almost like, you know, when we've stopped the boat and then they keep swimming towards you and swimming towards you. And it's like, you don't want to start and get out of the way. You just stop and then it's like, mm. is it actually just going to swim into us? Yeah. Uh, and they normally just the last minute they kind of head off or whatever. But they, they probably get themselves into a bit of mischief like that. Um, I guess the, the noise is fairly prominent in them. So that's the kind of pointy bit at yeah, the end yeah, that true. they get damaged. Poking um, out of the surface too. I wonder if that ever yeah, has anything yeah, yeah, to yeah. do with it. Yeah, we've never really seen it as well because obviously they've got um, a lot of their nervous mass and, and uh, uh, their abilities is based around their sense of smell. Mm. And um, yeah, you wonder, I always wonder, I've never really seen it much. We've seen them stacking up in the water column underneath each other, but I always wonder whether how close they need to get each other to figure out you know who's a male mm. who's a female and yeah i know like we possibly that singling to mating hormones um and you know maybe the nose gets yes. a bit abraded when no. they're you know getting a bit close and stuff i'm not really sure but like dogs yeah <laughs> so there's all those kind of things but yeah we only get this tiny little snapshot into what we see just during these times and you're just kind of making educated guesses based on your observations and things mm -hmm. and obviously the camera tags help a bit more as well that is an interesting thing as well that we do see scarring which could indicate mating as well which again that's putting pieces of the puzzle all together that we get all these sharks here in the Hebrides during the summer uh, yeah <laughs> like many of our questions it's still a bit of a mystery and this next question as well from Robert it's quite a tricky one so Baskin sharks do look very prehistoric and again they're really unique compared to lots of other shark species so we've been asked when did the first Baskin sharks evolve <laughs> a long long time ago what was it you're looking up this is you're getting into taxonom yeah taxonomy questions now so you're really dragging there i did find when they were first appeared on the fossil record and i think it was about 30 million years ago but we know that sharks are way way older than that and it was their last branching common ancestor with the lamniforms mm -hmm. am i right there was first appeared on the fossil record 80 million years ago so that in itself is a huge amount of time but when we're looking at fossils and sharks they're not the easiest thing to find information on because of their structure basically their cartilaginous skeletons don't preserve as well as denser bone and yeah yeah <laughs> so they think they're probably ones that haven't evolved as much you know they're obviously mm. you know it's even, I mean, it's interesting that like, you're getting into really debatable things about taxonomy and being part of lamniforms and related to great whites and all these things and how mm -hmm. far that branch off of it goes. So that's really getting into academic debate on, on all that kind of stuff. But they're just, it's quite funny they're in that order because they're just so, uh, well, I guess in some ways so far removed from all the rest um, mm -hmm. and, all, and, and removed from the other filter feeders as well which is quite interesting so they're not even yeah. grouped in the same uh order as those ones um but then when you look at their kind of body structure there's a cool picture we have in some of our talks that compares it to like a white shark and a poor beagle i think uh and then basking sharks with its mouth closed and we obviously see this in the water and things uh you know they look like a big predatory shark and they share things like being able to breach out the water and uh things like that so it's funny that they have 
these things that are uh, common with other things in their order, but then the other things that are just completely removed from. Um, yeah, definitely. They definitely have that silhouette when their mouths are closed, which is a little unnerving sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> murkier water. But um, so you just did mention briefing then, and another question we have from oh. Robert is: What does current research say about their observed breaching behaviour? So, being the second largest shark and being able to clear, bre- uh, clean of the water is a pretty impressive feat. Yeah, 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 really <laughs> so. cool. Yeah, we see quite a lot of it. Uh, interestingly, it's some of the behaviours that we note as well, and like there's certain, there's definitely times of year where it happens more potentially around these um, these mating times, and maybe in the early season or the late season when we've had aggregations of them, uh, we haven't seen the breaching at that time, which is which is interesting. So it does seem to be related to when there's a lot around, and then therefore you could suggest that it was also to do with. Um, uh, to do with uh, courtship and things. Um, there has been some papers recently, I think um, one out of Exeter, one out of um, Belfast, uh, looking at it, I think one had accelerometers uh, on a tag, which was quite cool. So they looked at the kind of um, velocity that they would breach and um, how how often they would do it and at what times. And there was some really interesting stuff came out of that, like uh, a lot of the breaches were at night of all, of all things. And uh, they kind of looked at the depth that they would breach from and the speed and things. I th- I'm sure it, they recorded it, it was meter per second. It was something like five meters per second they, they um, sped up to. So pretty fast for that size of animal, which generally eats small things that aren't uh, very highly nutritious um, and uh, not like a predatory shark that would uh, like a white shark that would, uh, you know, patrol the depth and uh, be looking for silhouettes in the surface and attack from underneath. Uh, but at the end of that uh, uh, behavior that, that um, burns a lot of energy, they get a big meal like a seal that's, you know, high in energy, whereas um, uh, a bassin shark, which will spend all day eating plankton, uh, you know, and, um, you know, not getting as high a value uh, meal as what a seal would be, uh, you, you know, you burn in quite a lot of energy breaching out. Um, although those papers also went into uh, the metabolic cost of a breach, mm-hmm. and they sort of um, suggested that it was a lot less than we think, because uh, they sort of made some suggestions about um, how uh, much a shark would feed, how much uh, energy it would get from its feeding behaviour during the day, and what the metabolic cost of a breach would be, and then obviously compared that, and it was a bit less than what you thought. I can't remember off the top of my head what it was, but it was I think it was like one. 20th or something which yeah. seemed quite low um, but you know from a kind of observation point of view but um, interesting anyway so generally before we've you've generally said that breaching is probably not to do with anything else apart from mating because of the energy cost of the animal uh, which has been evolved to be so specific uh, and streamlined and adapted to uh, being efficient for eating plankton um, uh, and to do this breaching behavior which seems you know uh, uh, magnificent and uh, you know costing lots of energy just seems to be the, the, uh, the other end of the scale from them being a, an efficient filter feeder um, so it must be to do with you know reproduction um, as we said before there's lots of these parasites that they have and many other animals do uh, funny behaviors like that uh, to clear themselves of, of um, parasites um and that's always been banded about as well but you know people have said well you know as the 
is the net gain of efficiency in the water from losing these parasites worth the energy cost of them jumping out of the water? Um, uh, and yeah, that's just sort of been debated around, but potentially we think it's more to do with aggregation, uh, sorry, uh, courtship or, or um, reproduction, um, which would obviously um, negate the energy cost, but maybe through that they have um, the added benefit of giving, getting rid of some parasites at the same time. So. Yeah, there's some really interesting papers on it, worth having a little read up on them. Um, uh, yeah. There's probably some articles and things about it as well. But it's really yeah. interesting. Was that the same study that did the, the metabolic rate that was um, timing them where they were doing multiple breaches, like three yeah, or four, I think, yeah, yeah, in a really yeah. short yeah. amount of time? We've definitely seen that as well. Like, yeah. uh, But it's hard to know whether it's the same shark as well, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, true. It's <laughs> the same bit, and you're like, is that really the same one going for it? And we've got drone footage, I think, of like one breaching after each other and yeah. things like that. So it's it's different. And we've had it like super close to the boat, like unannounced, and then them just popping <laughs> up everywhere. So it's pretty disconcerting a bit when they're that close. But spectacular as well and most people don't really know or maybe a bit more these days but didn't really know um that they jumped out the water so it's a yeah, yeah. pretty cool thing to watch it's so contrasting to how we normally see them so it is really special to see them do that um especially just because they're so big <laughs> seeing yeah 10 meter shark fly yeah. out the water um so yeah that's the theories that we currently have on that and then this next one is a bit of a tricky question too. So, are there any cases of known predation by orca, white sharks, etc., on basking sharks? Mm. Not that I know of. Um, uh, you would, yeah, it's interesting. Again, this long, long old answers to all this. So, <laughs> no, we've not heard of any of that, or I've not personally. You know, you have. Um, I, no. I don't. I'm not aware of of any records of it. Uh, certainly, the ones that the only occasional ones get washed up um, have no signs of being um, like picked over or bite marks or or anything like that. It's generally from like entanglements or 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 disease or anything or you know bycatch those kind of things um, that they'll get caught up on. Um, the uh, but like so if you compare it to the situation that they had in South Africa with these two orcas that started um, predating on white sharks and eating their liver, white sharks lamniforms in the same order as basin sharks who also have a huge liver up to mm. a quarter or a third of their body weight and a huge energy um, source and obviously food source for the orca. Um, I think those ones were kind of flipping the sharks over into this uh, tonic immobility thing and then... They're so you know, clever, aren't they? Amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, and I think interesting with those, the orcas, they have obviously their are different ecotypes and they are evolved um, uh, also with their physical features like the size of their teeth and, and their behaviours and whether they work as individuals or in a pod um, uh, into how they hunt their prey and they range from you know getting the seals off the beach to corralling herring to grabbing seals to attacking you know uh, whales out in open water um and i think there's one in south africa i'm not i'm not actually sure what ecotype they were from but they were certainly uh, i'm not sure if they were seal eaters or whale eaters or or mm. what their actual um common or, or normal prey was and they just yeah, yeah. suddenly decided they were going to do this to the sharks got a taste for something else yeah <laughs> and then with the orcas that we have here we have the two types the north atlantic type one and type two uh eating seals and um the ones we have in the hebrides the two that i think i've left uh generally eat cetaceans so probably 
or maybe used to be more common dolphins and, and think seem to be more porpoises now. Um, so it's whether they actually know how to feed on a Baskin shark or how to do it or whether mm. they can't do it or they've not got enough left in their pod to do it and it happened before uh, because they are here at the same time and they share the same space um, but they don't seem to be attacked because obviously we're spent lots and lots of time with bass and sharks mm. and we've never seen the orca anywhere near them we have seen the orca about of course but i've never actually seen them when sharks have been about the it's other well the interesting thing cool is that is <laughs> sometimes we've never seen the orca where we've seen sharks before yeah true and they have the few times we've seen them it has been a kind of quietish time because we've been roving around trying to find them so you never know if that's interlinked or not yeah yeah because uh, certainly a lot of things when orca around all <laughs> disappear um, if they're smart enough <laughs> yeah and then white sharks I don't think so uh, they're pretty evolved to just take things like seals and big fish so yeah. um, I, I, and then like you know obviously dead and dying stuff like you know tearing the whale carcasses and stuff like that yeah. but um, uh, and, and there is there is lots of evidence of uh, interspecies predation with sharks, you know, eating smaller ones and things like that. But yeah. uh, and the bass and sharks should migrate through similar areas. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure whether well, there's certainly not been any records that I'm aware of that um, of them getting taken or even like ones washing up with bite marks out of them. Mm. Um, so, but they grow, yeah, I mean they grow t bigger pretty much. So whether they don't they see them as a silhouette and you know they as a dominance thing that they they stay away from them um yeah, yeah. Uh, or whether they take some of the young but we don't really see it yeah i'm not i'm not really sure um so yeah so don't believe there is but it's an interesting thing to chat about yeah definitely that'd be some nat geo footage. yeah pretty mental John yeah co-hunting a baskin shark yeah oh. <laughs> well try aim for that next season <laughs> Uh, so thank you Robert those were some very sciencey questions we've just got through but this one from Rebecca Jar on Facebook <sighs> made me smile at a lot less scientific and it's do Baskin sharks smile <laughs> <laughs> funny some of the pictures they do look like they're smiling there's one in particular where it's head on that guy um, a few years ago it looks like the great white head on I can't remember the guy's name it's terrible Michael maybe oh yeah Michael Icebark He's got to really try and find his picture of that. He's yeah. got a head on one and it looks like it's got a big smile on it just for the way the camera angle, angle is. So. The shape of their mouths, isn't it? I think when they're closed, yeah. most sharks look a bit smiley when they've got their mouths closed. But yeah, I don't know. Some people say they look a bit kind of goofy or whatever. Or yeah. Like, oh. But yeah, when they've got a full tummy of plankton, I'm sure they're smiling. <laughs> they're happy in the Hebrides. That's, <laughs> That's for sure. Um and swimmer adventures asked to know everything so Oof. i think we've covered quite a lot of questions but have you got any favorite facts about baskin sharks that we might have missed <sighs> um, the big male that we have that turns up every year is called dangerous dave <laughs> you have to watch out for him We'll leave it to you to wonder why he's called Dangerous Day. Like a baby's arm. <laughs> it's definitely not a family podcast. <laughs> um, we've 
got a fun question to finish. So this one's from Jack. If you joined us last summer on one of our tours, you might have met Jack. Um, and he wants to know, who do you think would win in a fight, a whale shark or the basking shark? Classic. <laughs> Game classic Jack and his nonsense. classic. Yep. Uh, I have to think of a funny answer for it. Uh, well, whale sharks are number one biggest shark in the world. Bass and mm -hmm. sharks are second, so whale shark would have bigger length. But bass and sharks uh, breach out of the water and probably swim faster, I guess. Yeah. Although, I don't know, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure what the maximum speed of a, a whale shark is because they're quite big. They do move slowly, but quite a lot of power, I guess. Um, but I don't think I've really seen them moving particularly no. fast any time. They don't seem particularly streamlined, like, you know, the basking shark, no. when it's got its mouth closed, has quite like a pointed face, whereas the whale shark's got this big flat head. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a big head <laughs> could be yeah, that's a it. weapon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Jack's. <laughs> I think one on one the whale shark maybe, but a pack of basking sharks would definitely take it out with repeated breaches to the liver. <laughs> <laughs> the basking sharks look a bit more rough and ready. I yeah, think. yeah. Uh, whereas the whale sharks look a bit too pretty, like they're a bit scared to get their spots dirty. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, warm water, <laughs> it's soft. We're voting basking sharks, <laughs> yeah. but we Cheers, would. Cheers, Jack, for that. Yeah. Highly. <laughs> Uh, academic question. We would love to know who you guys think would win in a fight between a whale shark and a baskin shark. So do let us know in the comments when we post this. Uh, I think that could become a very good debate. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, we hope that you learned something new today. Um, if you have any questions about baskin sharks that you'd love us to answer on our next episode, do get in touch um, through any of our social media channels. And yeah. Cool. Hope to see you see next time. See you next time. And thanks for listening. Bye bye.